This morning we want to read, beginning with verse 5 down through verse 9. And a certain man was there, that is, at the pool called Bethesda, near to the sheep gate. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming and another uh, steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. We have here in this section, our attention is drawn to Jesus and the infinite man. This is the second view that we're given. Remember the first view the first picture that we had was uh, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem and near to the sheep gate and there was a pool of Bethesda and a great multitude and there was five porches there was a great multitude of impotent folk we would say people today that is our picture. That was, that was the scene that we, that we looked at last week. The pool called Bethesda. And near to the sheep's gate. And a great multitude of people. Tell us how many hundreds of people was there. It just says a great multitude. I mean, it would be enough if it was said a multitude was there. But Scripture says a great multitude. In other words, there was much people in that multitude. Were impotent, sick, and diseased. And now we come to the second picture, the second view. If you can visualize it in your mind's eye. There's the pool, the body of water, a retention pond, whatever you want to call it, the sheep's gate, where they brought the sacrifices in through, and a large number of people, hundreds of impotent folk, blind, lame, 
withered are there. In this picture that we have now before our eyes, Jesus chooses one man. Jesus chooses one. Not the multitude, but he chooses one. What was so special about this one man? <laughs> well, there's nothing special. He wasn't any different than the rest. He, he was poor and withered. He was impotent. So we have a picture now of Jesus choosing of this one man. Jesus. Jesus, the one who has the power to meet the need. He had the power to meet the need of this great multitude of impotent folks. But he chooses one. And such is the world. There's a, there's a great multitude of people in the world <laughs> that are impotent. They're helpless. They're helpless to do anything for themselves. And Jesus has the power. We notice here the man's distressed condition. He was paralyzed, and he had been in this condition for 38 years. It don't tell us this man's age, and it doesn't say that he was that way from birth. It just tells us that he'd been in this condition a long time. 38 years. That's the age of my daughter, my baby. She's my baby. In 17 days, she'll be 38. 38 years. This man was in this condition, helpless, couldn't do anything for himself, couldn't even couldn't even get himself to the body of water and be the first one there where he knew it that when the waters were agitated, when the waters were troubled, that the first one in that water would be healed. He would do nothing to get himself to the pool of mercy, to the house of mercy. If you're without Christ, you're like man. You're in a desperate condition. We said the great multitude is a picture of the world. 
the, the great multitude in the world that, that are without Christ, they're impotent, they're helpless to do anything for themselves. They're dead in their sins and in their trespasses. They're dead in iniquity. Can a dead man do anything? He can't do anything. He can't do anything to help his condition. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians in chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3. And I want you to pay attention what these verses are telling us. In verse 1 we read, And you hath he quickened. That is, these were made, made alive. How were they made alive? They were made alive, going back to the, to the, to the first chapter. Remember the chapter divisions weren't there in the original manuscript. It, was, it read like a letter with paragraph divisions. These, these folks were, some of these folks were made alive, and they were made alive by the same power of God that raised Christ from the dead and, and set him at the right hand of God and made him Lord over all things. But notice what it said concerning those who were made alive. They, at one time, they were with. They were dead in trespasses and sins, and so is everyone that has not been made alive by the power of God. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. And they manifest that they are dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world. Notice the path that they're on. Notice the way that they walk in. They walk according to the course of this world, which is common and normal and natural to the way of the world. According to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, according as he walks, that's the way they walk. If you're here and without Christ this morning, you're walking according to the course of this world. You're walking in the same way, in the same path as Satan walks. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You're a child of disobedience. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter the good that men may think that you do. You're a child of disobedience. You're disobedient to God. Verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation, our behavior, our manner of life in times past in the lust of our flesh... Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. <laughs> you see, that's the way they walk. 
They walk according to the flesh. They fulfill the desires and passions of the mind. Whatever they desire, they do. They do as they please. And we're by nature the children of wrath. <laughs> that is, the, the, you're a child of wrath. The wrath of God abides upon you. And all these that walk in that way and walk in that path, they are said to be dead in trespasses and in sins. It's not the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. In chapter 9. And look with me here at verse 17. Actually, I want to go up to verse 16 and, and begin our reading. Verse 16 of chapter 9 of the Psalms. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Here you go. Selah. Think about that. The wicked is caught up in the works of his own hands. His works. It's Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 says, there, there is filthy rags. In the sight of God. Verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations that forget God, all those who forget, the wicked... And the wicked nations, they're going to be cast into hell. They're going to be cast into eternal fire, eternal damnation. Why? Because they're caught up in the works, in their own works. And they do not the will and desire of God. Second Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians in chapter 1. Verse 7. Speaking to saved members of the church at Thessalonica, we read, and to you, are troubled, rest with us. <laughs> You'll be refreshed. You'll be relieved. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter whether you say, I believe 
God, I believe in Jesus. Well, guess what? The devils believe also in trouble. It's not enough to believe in God. You must obey. You must obey. If you truly believe in God, if you truly believe in Jesus, then your life You'll be different. We shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of His power. <laughs> you see? Eternal separation from God. An eternal fire. What's eternal mean? Never ending. And yes, you're going to have a new body that is fitted for that. These bodies would be consumed. But the unsaved are going to receive a new body that's fitted for eternal destruction. Eternal suffering. In the lake of fire. Oh, but Jesus, Jesus to this one, to this one soul that was in great need, he was in a desperate condition, he could do nothing to help himself, he was impotent, that's what the word impotent means, he could do nothing for himself. Jesus had compassion. It was heartwarming. It was touching. <laughs> and it was revealing. <laughs> he, he saw the man, the one man. I mean, he could see the hundreds of people around, but his eyes focused upon this one man. whom he knew. He knew all about him. <laughs> he knew all about his condition. He knew how long he'd been there. There was nothing that he did not know. In fact, turn with me to the book of Hebrews in chapter 4. The book of Hebrews in chapter 4. Verse 13, we, we read this. Neither is there any creature, any of his creation, that is not manifested in his sight. He sees it all. He sees all of his creation. He created it all. Everything that is in the heavens and everything that is in the earth, he created it. John chapter 1, verse 3. That is not manifest in his sight. That is, he 
sees it. He sees it all. There's nothing that is hidden from him. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He sees it all. Nothing is hidden from him. So he knew everything about this man. He knew all the rest of them were in the same condition. A helpless, hopeless condition. But he had compassion. He had mercy on this one. He chose this one. Did he have the right? Yes, he had the right. He's the creator. He's the potter. They're the clay. He has a right to do it as he pleases. He chose to be merciful. It was Jesus that initiated it. Not this, not this man, who this impotent man. This man didn't get in his face and, and initiate it. Jesus initiated it. So it is today. Any man that's going to be saved, it's got to be God that initiates it. It's got to be Jesus that initiates it. So Jesus initiated this relationship. And he approached the man. And he reached out to the man and help. He has compassion. He's a merciful God. He has compassion on those that are His. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 the angel revealed to Joseph that that which Mary has conceived is of the Holy Ghost. And she, Mary, shall call his name Jesus. Why are you going to call him Jesus? That's not a family name. She shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people, his people, from their sins. See, not all people or his people. Not all that great multitude that was there at the pool of Bethesda was his people. But this one man, this one infinite man was his. Turn with me to the book of Psalm. The book of Psalms in chapter 86. Psalms chapter 86 and verse 15. 
verse 15 of Psalm 86. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous mercy and truth. <laughs> and you have to say, say that he is so, he, he is so with even the wicked. If he were not long-suffering within the wicked, what would happen? They'd be cast into eternal destruction right now. But no, he's long-suffering. Waiting to the time appointed. And they shall be cast into everlasting destruction. He's full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering. And he's plenteous in mercy. Oh, you can't exhaust his mercy. Can't exhaust his grace. Praise God. Turn with me to the 111th Psalm. Psalm 111. And look with me at verse 4 in this psalm. Psalm 111, verse 4. He hath made His wonderful work to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. I thank God that He's full of compassion. I thank God that, that He's gracious. You see, I've experienced the gracious and and the compassion of the Lord. Have you? Turn with me to chapter 103. Chapter 103. And looking with me at uh, verse 13. Chapter 103 and verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. So the Lord pitieth them that are his. They, for they are the ones that fear him. They are the ones that revere him. They are the ones who stand in awe of his mighty power. Look with me at verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him and His righteousness unto children's children. <laughs> you see, His, His mercy, he, His mercy was on me in eternity. Before ever I was born. Before ever the heavens and earth were created by Him. He loved me. And because He loved me, He predestinated me to be called and conformed to the image of His Son. He, he purposed to be merciful unto me because He loved me. But God, 
who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sin. Have quickened us with Christ Jesus. By grace, ye are saved. And if you want to look that up, it's Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, yes, His mercy was there in eternity, and He purposed to be merciful to me, a sinner. The book of Hebrews, chapter 4. The book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Verse 15. For we have not an high priest, we have not an intercessor, we have not an, a mediator. That's what a high pri priest was, mediator between, between man and God. Christ is our great high priest. He's our mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, with the feeling of our afflictions, with the free feeling of our weakness and, and, and our sickness. Why? Because he was a man. The verse goes, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You see, he faced that temptation. He faced it without sin. Because he faced it. He was victorious over sin. And he's our mediator. We can face the same trials, the same temptations, the things that are common to man, we can face them. We too can be victorious. Not in our own power, not in our own strength, but in the power and might of Almighty God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will give us the victory. Two. Oh, that's compassion. That's mercy from our God. The book of Colossians. The book of Colossians in chapter 3. Verse 12. Colossians 3.12. Put on therefore... As the elect of God. <laughs> As those who, whom God loved before the foundations of the earth and chose them to be predestinated, to be conformed to the image of His Son. You're the elect of God. You're the chosen of God. Now, behave like God. Walk in walk in his path how's that holy and beloved that word that word beloved it goes to 
loving much people. You're to be holy and to, to be loving to people. Listen, you've got to be holy and you've got to be loving to people to have vows of mercies and kindness. These are all characteristics and traits of God. And as the elect of God, as the chosen of God, as the children of God, those are characteristics and traits that we ought to have too. Just like the natural son has characteristics and traits that are common to his father or to his mother. So we as the children of God ought to have, have characteristics and traits that are, that are identifying us with God. That we are the chosen of God. Oh, have you been able to see God's choosing in this impotent man? There was a great martyr don't lose sight of that. Did he heal them all? No, he chose one. Out of that great multitude, out of the hundreds of people that lay there in those porches and, and around that pool, suffering, waiting for the troubling of the water, waiting for the agitation of the water, and Jesus comes along and he chooses one. to be merciful to, to be compassionate to. Jesus told his apostles, told his church, his first church, in John 15, verse 6, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit. We didn't choose him. We couldn't choose him. No man will choose him. No man will decide to be a follower of Christ. God must work. And once God works, then they'll come. And Jesus said, All that the Father hath given me in John chapter. All that the Father hath given me shall come to me and I'll cast none out. He received everyone. Everyone that comes to him and all that the Father has given him shall come to him. They shall be made willing in the day of his power. Turn with me to the book of Romans. The book of Romans in chapter 9. So Jesus told his apostles there that they didn't choose him. He chose them. John, Romans chapter 9 and verse 15. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. A couple verses before that it says, Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. I chose Jacob. I didn't choose Esau. I chose Jacob to be my I chose Jacob to be my seed bearer. 
not Esau. So in verse 15, he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It's his right. <laughs> He's the potter. Where the clay tells us down a few verses later, uses that example. He makes one unto honor, and he makes one unto dishonor. As it pleases him, his choosing. Turn with me to the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations. In chapter 3. Verse... 22. These are verses that you hear, hear referred to and quoted all the time. But I want you to turn to them. I want you to see it for yourself. It is in the Word of God. I, I want you to see it when your eyes see it. Then, then you have more of a tendency to remember it. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. It's of the Lord's mercies. It's of His compassion and His mercies that we are not destroyed. Because His compassions fail not. In fact, it tells us they are new every morning. Praise God, I'm glad. I'm glad that His compassions of mercy are new every morning. Why? Because every day I'm in need of a fresh supply of His mercy. Because I'm not just going to might sin that day. I'm going to probably sin that day. And I'll need him to be merciful to me. I'm a vile and wicked sinner. Praise God. I'm saved by his grace. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood. But I still sin. And I'm waiting the day when I'll not sin anymore. And that'll be when I'm in His presence. That's a glorious healing. Completion of our salvation. How does He do this? How does, how does He choose? How does He save? How, do, how does He show Passion and mercy. Well, he does this through the message of the of the word, the message of the of the gospel, the witness of, of family and friends, the witness of the word. Turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter ten. Look with me at verse 14. Everybody wants to quote Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call on the, upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you better go beforehand and read the verses beforehand. And you better read verse 14. We're going to read verse 14 to you now. Verse 14 is a, a summation of what he said before that. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? You see, it, belief is necessary. You got to believe first. 
You got to be persuaded. You got to have full confidence that salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And that it's going to change you. How are you going to believe in him of whom they have not heard? How are you going to believe if you've not heard that you must believe, that you must repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood? You must hear it. And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without one that proclaims that good news to them? The news of Jesus Christ. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things whether it be family or friends or, or just a, a, a individual, a Christian out there in the community witnessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has sent them. He has sent His church. He sent His church to be that witness out into the community, out into Jerusalem, out into Samaria, out into the other parts of the earth. He sent them to be the gospel bearer. Verse 17 says, so then faith, faith, that, that full confidence, fully persuaded that Christ is it, that he is to the saving of your soul, cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. <laughs> you see, the word of God is proclaimed. And the Holy Spirit of God causes you to hear that word. And then he gives you repentance and faith. Turn with me to the book. Well, no, you don't have to turn there. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. He told his church. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto whom? Unto do, do like Jesus did. Choose this one to tell it to and choose this one to tell it to. No. To every creature because we don't know who God has chosen. We don't know who it is that he's given to the Son. Lord Jesus Christ. So we're to bear the good news to every creature. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1. Verse 18. So, he's chosen. He's chosen foolishness of the preaching of the cross to be the instrument of salvation. For the preaching of the cross, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It was that power that God used by the Holy Spirit of God to bring conviction 
to my soul and give me repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And Acts chapter 13, verse 44 tells us that all those that believe were ordained of God, predetermined by God unto eternal life. Turn with me to the book of John in chapter 17. In verse 2, show you this about Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says, in John chapter 17, verse 1, These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, power over all flesh. He has all power over everything that he's created that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, as many as the Father hath given him. And I remind you again, John 6, verse 37, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, shall come to me, and I will cast them out. He will receive them. Oh, the man was in a helpless condition, desperate condition. He had no family. He had no friend. He had no other man to help him. But the power of God, the power of God, came to him. Oh, and don't miss this. It's been the, it's been the basis of the, the whole message. It's the power of God that brings men out of their helpless and hopeless condition. We that were in sin, we that were without Christ, Romans chapter 5 tells us we were without strength. Verse 6. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 tells us that, well, verse 1 told us that we were dead in sins and trespasses. Told us the way of our life. Verse 12 said, and being in that condition, without strength, we were without God. And being without God, we had no hope. No hope of ever being with God. No hope of ever help, any help for our dead condition. God. We see the power of God. Jesus did not say, I will be thou healed. Rise up and walk. There's no word of healing to this man. 
He only commanded him to act. He expected obedience. He said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. He demanded obedience. He demanded, you obey my command. Jesus told, told his church, if you love me, John chapter 14 and verse 50, if you love me, keep my commandments. Obey my commandments. <laughs> Pretty simple, isn't it? If this impotent man believed, he would obey. He would rise, he would take up his bed, and he would walk. But what if he didn't believe? I mean, here you are, and you can't, you're impotent. You can't walk, you can't even get down in that pool to do anything for yourself. And this man comes along, and he tells you, get up. Pick up your bed and walk. You believe? What would make you believe that you can? For 38 years you hadn't been able to. What makes you think now some man comes along and tells you to do it that you're going to be able to do it? Well, if he didn't believe, what's he going to do? He's going to continue to lie there in his helpless condition, is he not? <laughs> oh, it's a clear fact. If we believe him, we obey him. If we do not believe, we do not obey. We're in disobedience. Last week we used the illustration of Luke chapter 17 and verse 14 of the, of the ten lepers who came to Jesus begging for help, begging to be healed of their leprosy. And pretty much an incurable disease. It just ate away until you passed away. And they come to Jesus begging for help. And Jesus said, go show thyself to the priest. Well, why should I go show myself to the priest? I know I'm a leper. The priest is just going to say, yeah, you're a leper. And he's going to quarantine me from the rest of the nation. Did these men say that? No. And said, and as they were going... As they were obeying Jesus' command to go show themselves to the priest, they were all healed. Why? They were all healed because they believed and obeyed. We read... James chapter 2 and verse 17 last week said, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, 
is dead. Being alone. If you say you have faith, there's no obedience to the commands of God. To the word of God. Then you have a dead faith. This is not faith at all. Do you know that God charged Moses and Aaron with unbelief? Sure did. In the book of Numbers in chapter 20, again, they've come to the, a rock the second time. After the first time when you told to strike the rock and, and the rivers of water came out and the people all drank and their thirst was quenched. But now they've gotten in themselves in condition again. There's no water and, and they're thirsty and we're going to die here in this wilderness. And they've come to the rock and the Lord says to Moses and to Aaron, you go and speak to the rock. What did Moses and Aaron do? They disobeyed God. They went and struck the rock. Moses was angry. They struck the rock. Water came out. God took care of his people. But you go down a few verses from, from that verse. You see, God said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to sanctify me wholly unto the people. You shall not enter into the promised land. And it's called the waters of Meribah because they obeyed not God. They did not believe God. He charges our disobedience with unbelief as well. It was, verse 9 of our text says, it was the Sabbath. Huh, what a thing to put in it. Why did he put that in there? It was the Sabbath. The very day that Jesus healed this impotent man was the Sabbath day. Not only did he heal this man on the Sabbath day, but he told this man to take his bed, carry his bed. Oh, that was work on the Sabbath day. Well, <laughs> this was a violation of the Jewish law was a violation of the commandments given at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. But why is that put there? Well, it sets us up for the next picture, the next scene that we're going to see next week. And those verses. Shall we?